This morning's reading is from uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, and it can be found on uh, Church Bibles on page 1196, 1196. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of God, treacherous, conceited, loves, lovers of pleasure rather than rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. There are, there are the kind of, there are the kind of worm that wait into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and sway by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected, but they were not not to get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everybody. Everyone. This is the word. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Thank you for reading that, Martin. Uh, let's keep that passage open in front of us. Uh, page one one nine six, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us on our own, but you have given us your word to read, to learn, to understand and to apply. Thank you that through it we can come to know you, we can come to know salvation and we can know how to live. So Father, please would you teach us by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder how you would finish uh, this sentence that's coming up on the screen. A church that welcomes everyone is... I wonder how you would finish that. We'll tend to think, of course, we as a church should be a church that welcomes absolutely everyone. And we do try to welcome people. We want the welcome on the door. Thank you, those who welcome today. Um, we want it to be welcoming for everyone, all kinds of people, whatever their background, whatever their race, nationality, whoever they are, we do want to be welcoming. But actually, the answer from this passage that we've just looked at is, a church that welcomes everyone is dangerous. It's a dangerous place to be. Halfway through the passage, in the second half of verse 5, you see Paul says to Timothy, this church leader, 
have nothing to do with such people. There are some people, Paul says to Timothy, he should have nothing to do with. Some people who should be avoided. Now we're going to think about two things this morning from the passage. First is, who are the people that we should avoid? Who should be avoided? And second, why should we avoid them? That's what we're going to think about this morning. So first off, who should we avoid? Have a look at verse 1. Paul says, Mark this, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now when is Paul talking about there? Is Paul talking about now? Is he talking about some future time? The last days? Sometimes people assume when it talks about the last days, that's in the future. That's uh, uh, just before Jesus returns, maybe, whenever that's going to be. When Paul talks about the last days, that's technical sort of language for the whole time between Jesus's life, death, resurrection and ascension on the, at the one point and Jesus's return on the other. It is the whole of that period. So from Jesus's ascension to Jesus's return, those are the last days. If you want evidence for that, Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given, Peter speaks to the crowd to explain what is going on. And he says to them, uh, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. In other words, Peter is saying, this is evidence that we are in the last days because the spirit has been given. So the whole time between Jesus's ascension uh, and uh, Jesus's return, these are the last days. So we are in the last days. They're the last days because the next big event in, according to the Bible, in world history is going to be Jesus's return and judgment day. So that's the next big event. It may be today, it may be in a thousand years, but that's the next big event. So we're in the last days. And what does Paul say about the last days? He says there will be terrible times. Not uniformly terrible necessarily, but terrible times. Uh, really bad times, maybe with some better times in between. And why will they be so bad? Verse 2, people. People will be. The problem is going to be people. And what they will do and how they will behave. And so when he starts talking like this, this sounds like he's talking about the world around us in the last days, the terrible times. What will people be like? And maybe there's a question here to say, do you recognize this? Is this the way the world is at the moment? Are we in a terrible time? And then we get a list. And as a preacher, when you've got a list, you always think, oh, how are we going to deal with this? How do we preach a list? And there are several of them in the Bible. And what you want to spot is some kind of pattern, some kind of form to it, some structure that you can pull out and say, look, here's a kind of overall theme. And thankfully, while it's difficult to sort of form a structure around it, yet there is a theme that runs through, which is uh, what people love. It comes up several times. Notice that, will you? We'll just pick out the things people love and then we'll come back and go to the other things. So at the beginning of the list, you'll see it says, people will be lovers of themselves. Love themselves. Do we see that in the world around us? 
Oh, there are some extreme forms of self-love, aren't there? That I read about, um, and I think this has happened in other places as well, but in June this year, there was a 24-year-old woman in India who got married, and she married herself. Uh, and she said, people marry someone they love, I love myself, and hence the wedding. And she went off on an expensive honeymoon too. Well, you might think, well, we don't see that a lot, but yet do we see evidence around us that people uh, are really out for loving themselves? I think we do, don't we? We see it on an international scale. There's just become a greater and greater focus on we've got to look after ourselves, but also individually in people's lives. Isn't it a general feature of our society that we look out for number one? Wasn't it sad to, see, to hear? And I don't pick her out uh, uh, just to, to point her as an extreme example, but more just to see that, uh, wasn't it sad that when Adele uh, broke off her marriage, that she said she did so in the pursuit of her own happiness? And people applauded her for that. Isn't that sad? Actually, that, that is indicative of where we are as a, as a culture, that uh, we look out for ourselves first and foremost. Next on the list, lovers of money and all it can get for us, the security it gives us, as well as all the things that it can give us. People will therefore do anything for more money, even if it means sacrificing family or, uh, or friendships or other people, always wanting more. In the middle of the list, it says, not lovers of the good. And then towards the end of the list, verse 4, uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do we see that in the world around us? Yeah, I think we do, don't we? The people love pleasure more than God. After all, the average person living in the houses around us, they don't care at all about God, aren't bothered about him, what he says in his word, whether God even exists. But should the internet go down such that people can't get access Netflix, there's big bother, isn't there? We're more bothered about pleasure than we are about God. You see, the root problem for people is misdirected love. Instead of loving God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength, they love themselves, love money and love pleasure. And this misdirected love then overflows into people's speech and behaviour. And that's where you go for the rest of the list there, isn't it? Let me just run through it again. Just see if you think, well, yes, is this what we see in people around us, in people? So he says, verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, full of themselves, proud, looking down on others, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, not thankful to the Lord, not thankful to other people, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, holding a grudge for many years sometimes, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Uh, one translation of that says uh, it's like a lion, savaging, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do we see that in the world around us? 
Uh, Paul isn't saying everyone will do all of these all of the time. No, that would be, that's not what we see, is it? It's not that no one ever does anything nice. But he's saying there will be terrible times where people will do these things and it will be horrible. So are these the people we should avoid? The people out there who are like this? Well, no, not quite. We've got to look more carefully at the list and particularly how it ends because Paul gives a little twist at the end. In fact, it's quite a big twist. Did you notice it? Verse 5. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, just... Take a moment on that. Having a form of godliness. That is, uh, they call themselves Christians. These people Paul has in mind. He's saying, yes, the world is like this. But these people that you've got to be wary of, these people are people who call themselves Christians. But it's clever the way Paul's done this, isn't he? He said, "People people will be like this, and then gives the list, and then he says, they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. In other words, the people he has in mind claim to be Christians. When did he stop talking about people out there and start talking about people in the church? Well, the reality is he's saying, actually, I'm talking about both because these people, they look just like the world. They behave just like the world. And yet they're in the church and call themselves Christians. They have a form of godliness. Come to church, sing the songs, Sing songs with eyes closed, with hands raised maybe, neither of which are bad things to do, great things to do. But they'll do that, but actually it's just a shell. It's a veneer, it's a mask. Underneath, they're just like the world, still loving themselves, loving money, loving pleasure. And it says, they have a form of godliness, but deny its power, because the power of the gospel is such that it will change us. It will change our character. It will change what we love. It will change our desires, being a Christian. Jesus told a parable. It's one we've turned to many times before, um, but it's a very brief parable. It's the parable of the hidden treasure. It's one verse long. Let me read it to you. It's from Matthew 13. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's it. End of story. And uh, the key thing in in that story are the words, in his joy. In his joy. What did he do? So he went to a field, found this treasure, reburied it. In his joy, sold all he had in order to buy that field, in his joy. So he said, all those possessions that he'd had before, all the things he'd treasured before, he says, no, I will happily, happily sell all that lot so that I can have the field. And Jesus is saying, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. A Christian is someone who sees that they will sell everything else. They will give up the love of self, the love of pleasure, the love of money, in order to have God. At the core of being a Christian is a change of heart, change of desire. But these people, Paul is saying, haven't had that change. They deny that power. Now, of course, we might well be getting twitchy at this point. 
Paul is not saying we have to avoid everyone who calls themselves a Christian and has any of these characteristics. Because as we went through that, you might well have been thinking, so, so actually that's, that's going to be me, isn't it? Because as we went through that list, I would think all of us might have thought, well, actually, some of these things are true of me, true of my heart. And as we went through that list, if you were convicted of some of those things, where you thought, yeah, there's, there's a bit of that in me, this list is not for you. If you were convicted of it, felt bad about it and thought, I'm guilty here. There are other passages which are for you. I would encourage you, for instance, to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. That would be one maybe to jot down and come back to. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, where, it, Paul, where John says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. No, God's word says to us, yes, we are sinners. And if you were convicted as we went through that list, felt awful, that's the place to go, to go back to Jesus and say, and plead for forgiveness. And we know that if we confess, we will be forgiven. But the people Paul is thinking about in Timothy, as the list were read, wouldn't have felt any conviction at all. Because they're quite happy loving themselves, loving pleasure, loving money. They don't care. That's Paul's point. So they call themselves Christians, but get drunk every weekend, or sleep with their boyfriend or girlfriend, or live with their partner who they aren't married to, or are the centre of gossip and backbiting at work, or in the family. Call themselves Christians, and don't see any contradiction there. When challenged, will say, oh, well, I think we've moved on from those things. I think the Bible, what it says, uh, was good back then, but we've moved on. Now, Paul is saying those people avoid them, have nothing to do with them. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. So that's who we should avoid. Second, and more briefly, why should we avoid them? Why should we avoid such people? Paul then goes on to say, these people are to be avoided because they're dangerous. They're dangerous for the church. Um, we as a family, a long time ago, we used to have tropical fish. We weren't very good at keeping them. They would keep dying. Um, we, uh, we knew of a, another family. I can't remember which family it was now, but there, there was a family we knew who they decided to get. They also had tropical fish. And they decided to get a miniature shark for their fish tank. You can get them. And uh, they put it in. And unfortunately, it ate all the other fish. Not a great move. These people come into a church and they can be deadly. They can be dangerous. That's why you've got to be careful of them. Now, verse 6, you'll see, it looks like a new paragraph, but actually it flows from the previous paragraph and more literally says, for from these are those who worm their way into people's lives. So for from this group of people, not all of them, but from this group of people, there will be those who will be particularly dangerous. 
who, it says, worm their way into homes, gain control over gullible women. They worm their way into homes. That is, they're sneaky, they're deep. It's a great image, isn't it? They worm their way in. Oh, they're coming through underneath into the home. They're worming their way in. And it says they gain control of people or literally capture people. It's, the image is like prisoners of war. They've been captured. And who is it? Well, it is the vulnerable they pick on. Weak-willed women, it says. Now, I don't think that's a sexist comment in that uh, not all women are weak-willed, just as not all men are predators. But in their situation, that's what was going on. And people will pick off the vulnerable. Those who, as it says here, are loaded down with sins, so there is huge amounts of guilt, and are swayed by evil desires. Now, just think, what are these people, these worms, what are they likely to say to those women, those people loaded down by sin, uh, swayed to evil desires? What are they likely to say to them? Well, don't forget, these are people who love themselves, love pleasure and love money. They're likely to say to these women or to anyone in this situation, it doesn't matter, don't worry about your sin, it's not that big a deal. In fact, maybe they're good things. Just go with them. They're dangerous because they convince people that sin is not sin. The bad things are not that bad. Maybe you should indulge in them. And the description of them is, verse 7, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as a little aside, that, that can be a problem, can't it? With some people, they seem to be so eager to learn. They've got questions, more and more questions. And when you answer one question, they've got another question. And in general, asking questions and raising doubts is a really good thing to do. But for some people, it can be, actually, there is just always another question. They can never come to a point where they say, actually, I believe Jesus is Lord. Because there's always another question. Can I ask, is that you? That you're just always raising more and more questions? Actually, that's not good. There's got to come a point where you go, no, I'm going to come to a conclusion on this. Acknowledge the truth of Jesus' lordship. Now, Paul is saying these worms, these people who will weave their way, worm their way into people's homes, those who have a form of godliness but deny its truth, you've got to avoid them. Now, there is a positive note at the end of the passage uh, notice verse 8, he talks about just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Who are these people? Well, tradition is that these were the magicians who opposed Moses. When Moses went to Pharaoh, if you remember the story from the book of Exodus, Moses goes to Pharaoh uh, to demand that he let the Israelites go and uh, there are, and. Moses is given miracles to perform, throws a stick onto the ground, it turns into a snake, and so on. Uh, and uh, Pharaoh had some magicians who opposed Moses and who did the same miracles by, by their own magic arts. And it is the tradition that Janus and Jambres are the names of those people, those magicians. And so Paul is saying, just as they opposed Moses, so these people oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. They're not genuine believers. They're not real. But the positive note is there in verse 9. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So the positive is, it will come to light. 
that they are not genuine, that they're deceiving people. So we as a church need to remember this so that we will be on our guard to avoid such people. Being a church that welcomes everyone is dangerous because there are some who have a form of godliness but deny its power and will seek to capture others. We want to welcome those from all backgrounds. We need to welcome sinners, bad people, sinners like us. We need to welcome all kinds of people, but we need to be on our guard for these people. Now, there is just one further application, just one last one, which I think is for those who aren't Christians. Because sometimes you talk to people and you find actually they don't go to church because they've had an experience of being in a church and have been hurt. And so they say, well, if that's what Christians are like, I'm not going to come along. Be aware what Paul is saying here is there can be people in churches who are not genuine Christians, who claim to be Christians, but who are like this. And maybe for you, if this is you, the kind of bite marks, as it were, that you've still got from past experience in church, maybe it's because you met some of these people. But also, don't forget, churches are not portrait galleries of saints. They're hospitals for sinners. And therefore, sometimes that means it's going to be messy being part of a church. But the important thing is, as a hospital for sinners, are we pointing people to Jesus and are we ourselves coming to him and letting him transform our lives, transform our loves and transform, therefore, the way that we behave and the way that we speak? So... Those are the people we are to avoid. Those are what, that's why we're to avoid them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, please, that you would help us to be on our guard, that you'd help us to spot these people and to avoid them, but also, Father, that you would continue to change our hearts and our lives, that we would love you above all things and that that would shape the way we live and the way we speak. Amen.